the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, we're the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. I'm Andrew Berg. Last week, we had Coach B and KB with us, and the Huskies won a road game against the top 10 team in the country. So we better do it again. Uh, Gaby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. So great. Feeling the vibe. How did you, Coach? Also, jubilant. I... you still backseating in the afterglow. Oh, you know, I got the victory cigar and everything. It's amazing. <laughs> I do like An the idea that cigar. I do like the idea that he's been smoking a victory cigar and just like really nursing it for seventy-two hours. It's an extremely. <laughs> large, I've only vomited four times. Cigar. Yes. Uh, well, let's talk about the Oregon game. I, I again, I think you know you beat the number six team in the country on the road, who's your arch rival, and there's a lot that you're going to remember from it. But there were so many notable plays in this game, too. There was the slip by Noah Whittington at the end, the redemptive field goal by Peyton Henry, Taj Davis catching that pass and tiptoeing down the sideline to score. Is there one play that defines the game for you, or is there something about this game that you're going to remember going forward when you look back on it in five years? This is going to be the what game. Gaby, is there anything for you that really just sticks in your mind? I mean, I think there, like everything you mentioned is is. I don't think any of those are going to be things that are forgotten. Um, I think for me, and it might just be because I I'm get I'm getting more maternal as I get older. Like not as in I I'm not like I don't want kids, but I get like more protective of like players on my teams as I get older, and so I think part of that is Peyton Henry's redemption uh redemption kick not just redemption kick obviously the one the one that is the kick is the last one for what 43 yards but just him making them over and over and over um making that first one when everyone was like no we can't play for field goals in this game um and and just just so just to know I mean obviously it's great like for your team winning in such a dramatic fashion and that arc and all that but also just to know like there's a person who has the weight of that first mistake they made when they were 18 or 19 years old just to know that like he has that that's off now you know I think that just makes me happy on like a human level yeah I mean it's worth pointing that out about Peyton Henry because he's completely reversed his career yeah and that that kick he had a pretty good freshman year as a walk-on but obviously marred by the miss in Austin that cost the team the game eventually in overtime. But even that year, he was 16 for 22 on kicks, which is okay. It's not great. Since then, he's been, like, lights out. He was 19 for 21 as a sophomore, barely, you know, only nine attempts in the COVID year. But then 11 for 14 last year, 15 of 17 this year, which is phenomenal. Yeah, although I think – I'm knocking on wood. I know, I'm knocking on Let's not jinx anything, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think – but he made these kicks. I think, but I think the main yes. thing though is like if you look at, you can say he got a lot better after his first year, which is true. But he also had a very clear like limit. Like you knew anything yes. more than like thirty-eight yards, you shouldn't like you don't give it to him. Just go for it on fourth. And so I think that's something that this year, just seeing him, uh, 
hit that point where he's not only is he way more consistent because he he has been good as far as college kickers go, but he still had that kind of up and down roller coastery hashtag college kicker thing going. And I think the thing that's made seem so different this year is just the fact that he's been so consistent um, and, and has been consistent at, at far deeper levels, you know, so it wasn't like anything above 30 yards. You're kind of clenching your butt. for. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing that he, he was, he became consistent, but he was very limited. And then this year he's, I think it stretched out a little bit last year. They were willing to try a little bit longer kicks, but still wasn't doing great at it. And then this year he's been very, very good. Statistically kicks over 40 yards in his first four seasons. He was four for 12 this year. He's four for five. Yeah. So he's gone from 33% to 80%. Uh, It limited sample, but it's completely different player. I do. Uh, I mean, Oh, you go. Keep going. Uh, so I don't know if we want to spend the whole podcast talking about the kicker. It's a great time to talk about the kicker. <laughs> but I want to get into the, kind of the the strategy of this game a little bit. Also. Can I may have one more thought on the on on kicker? So because you know what people Only really want to dive into. Bands. People really want to dive into kickers, but I do genuinely wonder, and this kind of goes past that. How much? I mean, a he looks like a he looks stronger and bigger like that. So I mean, that That's just true. makes it easier. But I also do wonder. Um, from like an offensive standpoint because kicking is such a mental game like an absurdly mental game I really wonder if the offense being so much more explosive kind of takes away that pressure on some level like I I don't know if he if he would admit to that whether that's true or not but I think you know the pressure of being a kicker on a team that (laughs) runs it out of eye formation every freaking play and they're only going to score you know 20 four points a game max like every kick matters so much especially because they played so much slower they had so many fewer possessions under Jimmy Lake where like you I mean whether or not that affected him uh who knows but just all else held constant just any given kicker like that puts so much more pressure on you as a player like every kick matters so much more um so I do kind of wonder if if this offense being giving the team more possessions giving him more opportunities and also making it so that games are less likely to come down to one kick on a very small number of possessions uh, over the course of the game I do wonder if that's kind of taken a little bit of that burden off that just lets you kind of do whatever the the kicking version is of grip and rip it (laughs) I I think you have a point there there's something to be said about like that mental aspect Mm -hmm. having that more a little bit of margin of error but I also don't want to detract from the fact that he did make game-winning field goal. Totally. Minute left and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's definitely – he's. you've seen that confidence, especially that swagger after he made the (laughs) kick and and shushing the stands and all of that. Like like you said, it's all all mental, and he has that confidence back. Totally. And, and, you know, you've seen the results. Yeah, yeah. Awesome to see. Let's talk a little bit about the the – strategy that sets up for having more opportunities to kick because obviously you have a a really high-powered offense you're going to be in the red zone more sometimes that manifests in touchdowns in this case it manifested in more field goal opportunities which was at least a little bit surprising and UW did play a little bit more conservatively certainly relative to what Oregon did Uh, and coach I'd love to hear your thoughts about this we had field goal attempts on fourth and one and fourth and four deep in Oregon territory Oregon was extremely aggressive throughout, including that fourth and one play uh, at their own 34 yard line with about a minute left. I, I, so coach, what was there 
a reason for this more conservative game plan, in your opinion? It worked here. Was that just a random coin flip that it happened to work and Oregon was actually playing the more mathematically sound approach? Or do you think there was, you know, three-dimensional chess going on with the Kalen DeBoer game plan? That, that's a great question. And I, so, like, me personally, I err on the side of that kind of landing's aggressive approach, right? Like, I'm a big proponent of going for it on fourth and short. It's a good offense, kind of regardless of if you have a great running, you know, rushing attack or our more pass-heavy offense. Like, if you're good at offense, you're good at offense, and you should kind of press that advantage when you can. But it worked, and especially when you're, you know, early in the game, we kind of saw that, you know, we had kind of a little bit of gamesmanship going and setting the tone where we won the coin toss and decided to take the kickoff and get the first possession in the game and kind of set that tone where, you know, maybe it was DeBoer doing some sort of mind tricks with his own team where it's like, Hey, see, we can, you know, move the ball on these guys, you know, you know, uh, Uncle Phil's money be damned and landing, <laughs> you know, SEC defensive style and all that. Like, we can compete. We're not the underdogs. We got this, and we'll play as if we were playing at home, you know, despite being down in Austin. It's like, we're going to play this like we're favored. We're going to take the points when we can because we know when we get the ball back, we're going to keep scoring kind of a thing, right? So, you know, it might have just been pure – you know, coin flip, and the difference was that razor thin margin of hey, you know, look, we're still in the game, we're up, we're within one possession pretty much the entire game, if not leading, right? And never digging yourself a hole might have done a little bit more than maybe getting that touchdown or maybe being down a possession or two early. So I'm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, I do like what you mentioned um, about the, like them going, uh, get, winning the coin toss and choosing to uh, start with possession because that's so rare. I feel like, especially the last, I don't know, decade or so, like people, I mean, you really rarely see that. I feel like, um, and also I, I wasn't thinking about that and I wasn't really thinking of this, of DeBoer being more conservative until I, I rewatched the game uh earlier today and i kind of was thinking about that and i think that that starting with the ball kind of set the tone in some ways as far as forcing i think having a having faith and being like all right if we start with the ball we will score um when we'll like we'll go up and kind of having to i don't want to say i don't want to say this was complete 4d chess but understanding that if oregon if you can make oregon play from behind or or at least you you know you not start from behind that that is more of an advantage than not starting the second half with the ball um and I feel I feel like a lot of that is if if, that kind of ties in is to me now that I've been thinking about it more for the last few hours (laughs) I feel like that ties into kind of knowing that Oregon's going to be aggressive and kind of using that um I'll say enthusiasm or that eagerness to really that that for them that they would have to to kind of try to put the dagger in when they can 
um, at any given drive, you know, from the start to the finish to kind of use that against them. Um, and I don't, you know, who, I, I'm kind of feel like you do coach where I'm like, you know, who knows if that actually was what DeBoer was thinking, but yeah, it, it feels to me like a lot of things aligned quite well where to the point where it, it, you know, it could just be coincidental, but I think there was at least, I don't want to call it gamesmanship, but I think tech, like just taking a tactical approach um, where you're understanding at least part of the mental side, both of your team um, to be kind of playing from ahead or at least kind of set the, set the pace, I suppose, to kind of have, have your offense beat the pace setters um, and understand the um, strategy that, that your opponent will be using and, and how aggressive they um, were, you know, going to be. Yeah. Kind I of think that's also fair. as we're, sorry. One, one last <laughs> thing is <laughs> while we're kind of thinking this through out loud is <laughs> yeah, taking the points early also kept us close enough of a, in close enough of a game where Oregon couldn't do for the entire second half, what they did in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Where they just pounded the rock killed possessions, shortened the game, and salt away the win. Because, I mean, they knew that we have a, you know, potential quick strike offense yeah. where if they did get, you know, two possessions ahead, they could have sat on the ball the entire second half. And staying with them, you know, and kind of playing it by ear as the game progressed, it's uh, we avoided putting our defense in a position where they absolutely had to make a stop. Yeah, for as long as possible, at least. Yeah, I think if you look at any of those individual decisions, the I think maybe the most important ones that were the the focal points of the game were kicking the field goal on fourth and one in Oregon's red zone, and Oregon going for it on fourth and one inside their own thirty-five yard line in the fourth quarter. And if you played those out a hundred times each, I think in both cases the win probability probably favors Oregon but in both cases it's not like a 90-10 advantage it's like a 55-45 advantage like the numbers maybe are in the favor of the decisions Lanning made or that DeVore didn't make but in both cases they're close enough that if you think there are tactical reasons that the strategy isn't going to work it's very defensible to go the, the way that we did go and yeah you know we've seen troubles in short yarded situations and things like that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the player who kind of put us in the position for these things to matter, being Michael Penix, again, player of the game. And, and it was his his stamp was all over the game. He orchestrated the offense. He it, it, We've seen it all year, but we saw it many times on Saturday night, the pre-step movement to line up the, the pass blocking and read the defense. And it seemed like he knew what Oregon's coverages were going to be before the snap almost every time he dropped back and he was extremely efficient in some ways. It was, I think more impressive that he had such an awful interception on the goal line and bounced back as if nothing ever happened and just went straight back into elite execution mode. So Gaby talk a little bit about what you think it is that, that makes Penix not just special physically, but all, but mentally because he's doing so much mentally in these games. You know, we've been doing this podcast for a few years and we had, a lot of conversations about like Jacob Eason has every physical tool, but he's not processing things as quickly as you would want. Michael yeah. Penix is 180 degrees away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And is, and is a more complete athlete too. Yeah. 
Um, so it's there's so much that he does so much better than 99% of quarterbacks, uh, Easton included. Um, I, I think, I mean, I wrote about this last week um, <clears throat> regarding the pick six that he threw against Oregon State, which granted, I mean, it's it's very unlike him to throw two quite bad interceptions two weeks in a row. But I, I think the thing that is most impressive to me is what I, what I wrote last week was that um, oh, I found it uh, is that good athletes don't make mistakes and great athletes make mistakes and just carry on um, because that's like if and I, I think that that is something that along with what when you want to look at like his on field tactical uh, intelligence, which is huge, you know, <laughs> watching him um uh you know analyze a defense pre-snap and post-snap in real time is so fun um especially because he has the arm to make you know i feel like it's so rare that you see somebody who has a brain working like he does and has the arm to make those kind of throws um i feel like it's 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 tragically almost always one or the other with with the different quarterbacks but i mean we've talked a lot about that, that intelligence, but I think also just that kind of thing of, I, I mean, everyone listening to this um, should know that when, when he threw that interception in our writers group chat, it just exploded with, well, that's pretty much the game. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. And, I think it just said ball game. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did too. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I remember looking at my phone and being like, yep <laughs> like I don't think I said anything but I just remember you guys all and Max and everybody kind of just just the despair that came over our group chat um and well, I and think there's a reason for that yeah yeah oh, I mean, of it, we saw how the defense played all night and yeah. you know they gave up almost 600 yards and yeah Bo Nix was and both running backs uh, the, mm-hmm. Irving I I mean never seen Bucky Irving again uh, <laughs> it will be soon enough too soon yeah and we missed what I don't know what the final total was eighteen or nineteen or twenty tackles in the game just oh absolutely yeah, it was, abysmal it was, tackles it was in the, the field worst tackling I've seen since uh, the Gilbertson years. Um, but the, the <laughs> counterpoint to that was they did enough to hold on at the end for the win. Yeah, and they, they got yeah. a stop. They got two stops at the end. One you know ending the game with the the hail mary and the other on the totally one yeah 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 slip and I think, or yeah, stuff just, just not being able to um, consistently perform. But anyways. Um, just to finish that thought though on Penix that I think, I think that's what makes him really, really like takes him to that next level is the fact that he'll, he he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but when he does, no matter how horrific and, uh, soul crushing they would be to a mere mortal that it's, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like early, early career pre downfall, Russell Wilson of (laughs) you're like, well, fuck, we're we're out of it <laughs> and and just to, just to just to a be so unrattleable and b have the talent to back that up um is i think that's really what what makes him so i i, I yeah i i don't think i mean there's there's i you know i, I know there will be a lot of quarterbacks drafted before not a lot but a handful of quarterbacks drafted before him um in the in and in the draft and i i think there's you know lots of guys who project more nfle but um i don't think i I really can't think off the top of my head of somebody who's more complete from a physical um from physical from physical skill from a skill standpoint from a processing standpoint from a mental like resilience and 
just like that kind of mindset standpoint, I, I just don't feel like I've seen that many quarterbacks with all of those, um, you know, with all of those qualities in such a if long you didn't time. Have, if he didn't have the injury history, yeah, he would for sure be hyped as like a potential first round draft. Yeah. Uh, with, without a doubt. He would be, yeah. Especially if he, he was right handed. That right <laughs> Although that's less Stroud, of Stroud and uh, Bryce Young. Yeah, where, I think like, you're probably talk right. about Will Levis and, yeah. and so on. Uh, but I, I saw there was an updated, uh, I think it was in the athletic scouting profile of him from an NFL draft scout who still, who is raving about him and still had him rated below Tanner McKee. That's Which insane to me. Uh, have you ever seen Tanner McKee play a football game? Uh, but he's six but six. We talked to, yeah, he is. He's extremely six six. He's so uh, six. One of the he's most the most six six, six to ever six six. Of all of the Stanford six six quarterbacks, he's definitely one of them. We talked a little bit about the foibles on the defensive side, but coach, I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. Uh, I think it was. It might have been Matt Calkins wrote something about how statistically it was a terrible game but in the end it was the best defensive performance of the year because they did it the most when it matters what did you think about the game plan and also the execution defensively is there anything you know watching this in your mind you were thinking like oh i don't know if i would have thought about it that way or did they kind of check the boxes the way you would have liked um so a little bit of yes and no to some of that where i Hindsight being twenty twenty, so let's just, you know, throw that caveat out there. But we kind of already knew that Bo Nix's legs were going to be an issue, but for long stretches of the game, we didn't really address it that well. Like, no QB spy, kind of vacating the middle, playing our style of, like, match zone quarter um, quarters coverage, where it kind of, at a certain point in the during the actual play, it converts into man coverage. And man coverage, you take your eyes off the quarterback and you have something like that Bo Nix, um, like QB draw touchdown that they had mm-hmm. where mm. the seas parted, nobody was even really looking, and he went in basically untouched for a touchdown, right? And be- between that and then we really tried to play coverage more than I thought we would. Maybe it's because we were worried about the pressure and maybe, you know, if the pressure doesn't get home, then we're stuck with Bo Nix running for 40 yards or something like that. That might be one of the issues or something. And we were kind of daring him to sit in the pocket and make throws downfield against, like, the thinnest defensive back group <laughs> in the entire conference. But I, regardless, the one, the, the, the thing that matters though, that I think we were so frustrated with in past seasons on offense and defense was that the staff made changes when it mattered. They made adjustments when it mattered, right? They recognized, okay, Nix is a problem. Nix's legs are, kind of pivotal to their whole offense right whether it be the rushing threat the scramble threat the escapability or even in the passing game um, when they had that long touchdown where I can't remember what the receiver's name was but it it was against uh, Dom Hampton they did a little bit of a sprint out action thrown right over the top (laughs) yep that that clunker of a play for our defense but 
you know, that movement was critical to everything they did and kind of became a little predictable, I guess. And so on that last big stop on Knicks where he event, you know, it ends up, you know, he got hurt on that play, the Alex Cook tackle there. It was almost the exact same setup as Knicks's earlier rushing touchdown. But what we did was we kind of leaned into it, right? Where we showed that wide open middle of the field, like, you know, shifted the D tackles over, had this big open gap with only Cook back there and kind of dared them, kind of knowing that he's one of their better rushing threats in that particular situation. Just go for it, right? Knowing that we could probably bait them into that look and that call and immediately sending Alex Cook as a heat-seeking missile and making the stop, which, granted, you know, he hasn't been that great all season, but I will certainly give him credit for for all the other missed tackles. That one made up for it, right? Yeah. Where <laughs> ended up being the difference in the game for the defense, right? So um, I guess long story short there is the calls weren't great. The game plan was a little funky. The tackling was atrocious. It looked like my uh, adult league flag football team out there. But, uh, you know, when it mattered, we made changes and got the job done. I like that yeah, you mentioned. Right. I, oh. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I like that you mentioned, again, how bad the tackling was. I mean, I know we mentioned this already, but I really, I mean, I, I know just as a, as, a, as, a, as a former rugby player, <laughs> seeing really bad football tackling is just like it it makes my eye you know that feeling of when you're doing a staring contest and you're really determined to win but it's been a really long time and you just like are it's that feeling where your eyes feel like they're gonna dry out and melt through your sockets simultaneously like (laughs) that's my one thing that I'm like if we can have one thing to focus on over the off season please let it be that i mean actually it would be the secondary but um i just wanted to bring that up or, or add yeah, on to that I, I, it, it there were some big emotional swings in the game and a lot of it had to do with there's no way we're gonna miss another t- oh yeah we missed <laughs> yeah like really yeah really poor i mean taking your legs out of it and um like you know just and and i have to you have you know you have to give credit to oregon to some extent it's like how every apple cup when miles gaskin was with u-dub how every apple cup you you would read the post game threads and wazoo fans would be like see if we could just tackle better we would have won and it's like at a certain point you have to give you know opponents credit but i mean yeah to an extent but but we have been mediocre tacklers all season and then to really get that bad against um you know when it really matters like um people people would left their feet and tackled too high and they they didn't you know didn't put they they it, uh, it like was exclusively atrocious. yeah yeah. <laughs> well, yeah we're gonna take a break before we we uh close it out just wanted to make sure you know we send our thoughts and prayers to chris uh houston uh our hudson hopefully that debilitating leg injury he's in front of the end of the game <laughs> isn't gonna end his career i really hope he's able to make how will he recover that. Uh, so stick around and we'll be back to talk a little bit about Colorado in a weird Pac-12 weekend. Thank you for sticking with us. We're going to talk briefly about the upcoming game against Colorado. You know, the Buffs are among the very worst in the country at pretty much everything. They're kind of passable as a rush offense and like 
bottom five in the country in every other statistical category. The uh, college football graphs Twitter account, if you don't follow that, has some great expected points added uh, predictions game by game, has UW with an over 99% chance of winning this game. That seems nuts to me for any conference game. And yet Colorado has been uh, a 30 plus point dog each of the last two weeks and failed to cover either of those games. Coach, uh, you know, talk me onto the ledge here. Is there any reason <laughs> in the least to be scared of Colorado? <laughs> to get fired uh, up about this game. <laughs> Ooh, you're really going to make me dig for this one here. Um, not to overdo the coaching cliches, but, uh, you know, big win last week, take the eye off the ball. You never know what this team's going to do, especially if we take the approach of, and I don't know if Kalen DeBoer is going to do this or not, but, hey, let's try to get out ahead early and then throw in all the young guys. Uh, and then, you know, maybe throwing the young guys a little too soon kind of a thing. I've definitely seen that before. Um, but, you know, the 30-plus point spread is uh, – I mean, Vegas usually knows what they're talking about, and uh, I, I expect a fairly handy, you know, sizable margin of victory here. So uh, not really doing a whole lot to help you here <laughs> to get excited for. Oh, actually, no just had an idea or just had a thought something to look forward to maybe Penix can throw for like 500 yards in the first half and get over halfway to our our beloved Cody Pickett's single season record for passing yards yeah there you go. I think he only has like 819 yards left so very doable this season hey now you were supposed to talk Andrew onto the ledge you bastard <laughs> I mean that's pretty scary I mean I don't I think we have something to cheer against at that point yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Don't break it, not for Cody. It's kind of funny that, you know, I, I watched Colorado a few times early last year. And when I first saw Brendan Lewis, their quarterback play, it felt like a flashback because he's so one-dimensional as a runner. He could not throw the ball. He had a very weak arm, couldn't get it down the field, was really inaccurate. It felt like one of those quarterbacks that somebody would try like in the very early spread uh, <laughs> offense days, spread option days, where you could kind of get by like throwing the ball 15 times a game because defenses didn't know how to deal with uh, RPOs and the quarterback could rush for 200 yards in a game. And yep. they kind of figured it out at this point, and he was a hopeless passer. He got hurt early this year, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe they can at least try to throw the ball now, and it's somehow been even worse. Like Owen McCown and JT Stroud have – cumulatively more interceptions and touchdowns. And I think if you added up their their completion percentage is a shade under 50% together and they're under six yards uh, per attempt. So it's just across the board, just I, absolutely hopeless passing offense. And that's, you know, kind of what you would want going against the Huskies this year. I do love scenarios like when you, when you see quarterbacks uh, like JT Shrout, who you remember when, when you've been paying attention to recruiting long enough, like you remember their recruiting right. saga and you remember like, Oh, and then they're like, like he originally committed to Cal as my memory and then did well at like the elite 11 or I, one of the elite 11, like regional camps. Uh, his, his stocks are getting much higher. He decommitted, went to Tennessee and then to like, you know, not be very good at it with on an at the time not very good Tennessee team transfer over to Colorado also not be very good I do love 
seeing things come full circle in that way so and I suppose that's what I'll be watching for for Colorado like not to be too cocky about it but I'm like that's what I'm watching for I'm to to watch recruiting five-year-old five-year-old recruiting sagas I mean I'm making him sound like like some like Tate Martell craziness it was just a normal commit stock rise decommit go somewhere higher profile that happens all the time but um it's fun seeing those people come back into the in, into uh, relevance in some way. It's very fun watching the the third act in some of these plays where yeah. the, the transfer portal adds the extra uh, player movement onto the end as a coda to their uh, career. Yeah. Coach, do you have anything else to add uh, about Colorado? I, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this game. I don't want to you know jinx it, but they haven't even been competitive in the last four weeks, and it really does feel like it would have to be some kind of huge emotional letdown uh, for this to, game to end up being, you know, closer than three touchdowns or something. Mm, not, not a ton more to add. Tell you the truth, I, I've still been riding the high of this past weekend, so uh, I apologize <laughs> totally for my lack of in-depth analysis there. I don't. I think if it's there's totally any fair. team, and I, I know if we do somehow end up doing the unthinkable against Colorado then it was 100% our fault for jinxing it. But I feel like if there's any team that you can be like, eh, shrug emoji. <laughs> it's <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, you talk about, it's always hard, hard to uh, get in the heads of collective football teams. Sure. Hard to get in the head of all player. But you could kind of see the effort just kind of dissipate after they got that upset win over Cal. Upset over a pretty mediocre Cal team. They won an overtime. And since then, it's just like, nope, we're good. We're on the beach. We, we did what we set out to do. We're not winless. The rest yeah. of the season doesn't matter. Because since then, it's been like laying down. They lost to Oregon State by uh, 33. They lost to Oregon by 39. They lost to USC by 38. Oh, uh, they man. played a semi-close home game against Arizona State where they still gave up 42 points to a bad offense. Uh, yeah, it hasn't been pretty. One other thing I did want to talk about uh, before we wrap up was the surprise of last week of UCLA losing to Arizona. We know the Arizona offense has been dangerous all season, but UCLA was, you know, speaking of motivation, in a position to potentially get to the Pac-12 title game and had a huge game this week set up against USC. Things look very different now. Uh, And it was kind of like the Oregon game where UCLA offense made just enough mistakes where they couldn't keep up with the points that their defense was giving up. Gaby, what were your thoughts on how that game ended and what it means for the conference for the rest of the season? Um, I personally am fine. Like people, I, I know ever since, you know, the Pac-12 has had a, a, a playoff drought since 20, since Washington was the last one. You know, people like to play up, by people, I mean mostly like national talking heads and stuff, like to play up like, oh my God, you know, Pac-12 cannibalizing itself and uh and oh this is terrible for the conference but i mean if you have watched anything and paid attention at all like this is the best the conference has been in many years and i don't think it's close honestly um and i also think if you look at ucla and arizona as teams i think this was like the absolute perfect instance like if i could have you know a couple weeks ago someone had been like what is what is the scenario where a team where where something like where I guess you would just call it an upset but like what's the upset that would be the highest impact that's most likely to happen I would have I mean I actually did 
would have pointed at UW and ASU a little bit too, um, even though I didn't officially do that. But this is like the one, because if you look at UCLA, um, you know, I was saying this going into the UCLA game that I'm like, they are, the, they're the going to the UCLA UW game, even though we ended up losing. I, I, I don't not stand by what I said about like, UCLA is the worst four and O team. I think that means you stand by it. Yeah, I know, but it, <laughs> it, not not standing by or wait, not yeah, not not standing by is different from stand because a standby is a full endorsement versus <laughs> this is just not not admitting, not saying it was completely wrong. Like UCLA has is it, don't get me wrong, like they're they're a great team, but they are, you know, they at least at the beginning of the year and and somewhat later on, like were kind of shaky in their in some of their victories to the point where you could be like, yeah, this is a team that's very much susceptible to losses that you wouldn't expect um, by a team that otherwise had has this record. Um, and you know, and and of course, you know, you could say the same about UW in certain, in many cases too. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, I don't want I don't want any UCLA fans, all eight of you, Ao, uh, to be like, <laughs> she said mean things about our school. Like, uh, uh, you you know, that's uh Washington is not immune from that criticism either but then so that's looking at the UCLA side that's where that kind of makes sense to me but then when you look at Arizona too I think they're kind of like the perfect candidate for kind of chaotic upsets of teams that you otherwise wouldn't you know expect to lose um they they remind me so much of the Mike Leach yeah wazoo teams where it's just like just yeah agent of chaos yeah spoiler in the conference just because they do some funky things and you know of course it's fitting that they have a former quarterback and all that committed to leach originally uh uh, yeah yeah pre-rollo he he never played under leach but he committed to him it was just that whole saga but his style of play he is if they were better like Mm -hmm. were consistently a winning team and you know or whatever they might he might be the number one cause of heart attacks west of the mississippi oh for sure yeah like (laughs) on both sides of like four arizona and four teams playing against arizona oh yeah just you know like (laughs) i was watching the end of the ucla arizona game and he is doing exactly what east used to do just more athletic trying yeah. to run away from pressure backwards sometimes yes. he makes it happen sometimes he gets sacked for 20 yards yeah or something like that they but, call it the wilson yeah, um, yes exactly yeah. but just a very specific type of matchup where not everybody in the conference is gonna do well and can take advantage on a good night of your bad night and yeah kind of ruin your season cause you some headaches very similar to like those leech yeah wsu teams totally i feel yeah i do feel like arizona at their best could upset anybody in the conference but it's just that they don't you know they're not a consistent enough and their quarterback is like there's so much about them that that it's just they are not going to be at their best all the time and if it is arizona at their best when other teams are you know not at their best um but yeah i totally feel that about them being this this era's wazoo like obviously not tactically so much because wazoo at least under mike leach like there was it was a code that you could crack definitively as uw did um, <laughs> for like seven apple cups in a row so it's like a little bit more i feel like um you know granted i haven't i haven't like done the deep dive into their offense that much but i feel like they're they're more dynamic 
<laughs> they have a more dynamic um, on-field approach, but I completely agree with you as far as like that team that's just here to break, just here to to break everyone's hearts and make sure none of, nobody has a fun time um, or at least too fun a time. Like when you think everything's going good. No, no, no. <laughs> and then and kind of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Only thing exactly. I, I would add to that is that Arizona, I mean, this last couple of weeks, last month or so has been a reminder that rebuilding a team from the depths that they had plunged to is not yeah. a one recruiting cycle and transfer portal uh, solution that they seem to be headed in the right direction, but they've got a lot further to go to, to have the number of players and like quality totally. depth that it takes to, to win five or six conference games, but mm-hmm. not ruling out that we, we may get there. Let's go into our recommendations and plugs. Any volunteers to start this week? Uh, Gaby, anything? Uh, did you, was there another season finale of Dairy Girls to series finale of Dairy Girls to watch? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wish the most uh... recent series finale. Yeah, I should just say, I should just say, oh, I, I love that you say that because not even a full second after you asked, I got a text from my sister that said, motherfucker this, motherfucker that, which is a famous line from the first episode. Motherfucker is my new thing, um, which is what <laughs> one of the main characters says after um, watching Pulp Fiction for the first time. So at least two lads eating cheeseburgers, shooting shit, motherfucker this, motherfucker that. Um, anyways, no, um, what am I doing? Uh I think I just recommended that and then I had a couple shows last week, right? So I guess, I don't know, we'll probably have more listeners this time than after last week. So I guess I should just recommend some shows again, which is, uh, oh, well, I have a couple new ones, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I said last week uh, on the 25th, so that's the day before the Apple Cup, um, I'm opening for Kermit Apio at Hereafter at the Crocodile. Did I say that? last week i think i did oh, I, I don't know did. why would you, you guys know i don't think you did maybe not i think i might have mentioned it at when i did the um thing for quack 12 podcast um so i don't know maybe i didn't mention this but um uh on yeah so the day before the apple cup i'm opening for kermit epio at hereafter which is like the kind of comedy whatever room at the crocodile in belltown um, he's super funny. He's from Hawaii, coach. He's just hey, like you, hey. except for, you know, like <laughs> 25 years older than you. Um, he might, wait, you went to Punahou, right? Am Correct. I allowed to dox coaches? Yes. Yeah. I'll matter. Go wait, I think he might have. No, I don't think he went to Punahou. I don't know. I don't remember. Either way, he's been in Seattle for like 30 years. He, um, he knew Mitch Hedberg before he was famous. He knows anybody who's gotten fame like ron funches mitch hedberg anybody who's gotten big who had any connection even remotely to the northwest like kermit knew him or knows him if they're still alive Ooh, that got dark um so yeah i'm doing that on the 25th ron That's is still with us still tweeting about <laughs> yeah ron is still alive damn it um uh i'm doing a show also at the ranch room in bellingham on the 21st so that's a week from tomorrow yesterday um, so if you're in Bellingham, you can stop by that. Um, as well as I think I'm also doing a thing at, you know what? I don't need to say everything right away. There's more. Those are in December. Well, now you've does... got stuff to talk about next week. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, we're gonna um... have to stretch for time after the Colorado game. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, well, we <laughs> no, we're gonna jinx it. We're gonna jinx it, and we're gonna my best. screw up, and it's gonna be all our fault. And then Coach, anything, anything for you to add? 
in proper fashion, as I always do. I forget to come up with a really good one. Semi-plug, I've been re-watching Better Call Saul. Good show on Netflix. I'm sure tons of people have uh, heard about it, watched it, whatever. It's a prequel kind of spinoff from Breaking Bad. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. And then just a random plug or shout out. It's almost Thanksgiving. My favorite holiday of the year. Really? So I'm very excited. I love Thanksgiving. I, I love, love the food of Thanksgiving and the football. Thanksgiving will be my third day living in a new country. And I have to find uh, cooking implements into Turkey, a store that sells whole turkeys in that amount of time. It just seems like an uphill battle. Can I I'm offer a counterpoint? Oh. Yeah. I was just going to offer a counterpoint, and that's that turkey is the worst part of Thanksgiving dinner. That is fine. I am maybe going to get murdered for that. People either really agree with me or really don't. So, I have done I'm not going to argue Thanksgiving. with you. I still like it. It may not be the best, but this <laughs> speaks to Coach's correct opinion that it's among the very best holidays. If something yeah, I... really good can be the worst part of it, it must be pretty good. <laughs> I just don't like I... turkey. Is that, is that good? It's, it's not. It's not good. Like Pro a whole tip. turkey. Or turkey, pro tip. turkey, yeah, yes. Pro tip: Do a prime rib instead of a turkey. Yes. Nobody. Oh, will sorry, complain. that was really loud. You just got me really <laughs> enthused. It's by far the superior chunk of meat. Ham oh, sucks. Yeah. Turkey sucks. Big, like full. This. This yep, is boy. my. Don't very... talk to my friend Connor. He stabs himself in the chest when he hears you imputing turkey. I mean ham. <laughs> sorry. Ham, sorry, Connor. Sorry. Uh, God, I'm going to recommend. Uh, yeah. Uh, a new comedy special on Netflix called Blocks by Neil Brennan. Uh, very, he's a very strong joke writer. He he was the co-creator of Chappelle Show with the uh, eponymous Dave Chappelle, but he's been doing his own stand-up stuff for about a decade longer, I'm sure, but been really successful for that amount of time. And it's he always works in a lot of very poignant material about like family trauma and mental illness, but still extremely extremely funny. Uh, I laughed quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, give that a shot. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, that just reminded me. I actually do have something to plug. It's not my show, but it is a taping for a special. Um, if you're in Tacoma, people in Tacoma, people, South, attention, South Sound listeners of our shit. Um, oh shoot, I have to sneeze. No, I think I can hold it. Uh, no, maybe I can't. Oh no, nope. Okay, we're good. It's not coming. Um. So you just your your recommendation reminded me um at the uh the laughing elk is a show produced by rachel and richie apche who are very funny and amazing and perfect and you should go follow them on everything and watch their stuff and also uh jackie turgeson who is also super funny they're all based in tacoma um and at the on december 7th they are putting on as part of the laughing elk um jimmy shin uh, the comedian, he's filming his special up here. He's based in L.A., but he's I don't know if he's from Tacoma or Puget Sound area or if he's just spent time here. Either way. Um, so it's at the McMenamin Spanish Ballroom um, in, T- in Tacoma on December 7th. Um, if you want to go, which you should, you should get your tickets now. There's I'm pretty sure there's a link at the Laughing Elks Instagram uh, bio. There is. I just looked at it. Um and you should, yeah, you should get tickets because it'll sell out. Um, it'll also be very fun. If you can ever go to any sort of album taping or special taping or anything, um, you should because 
I mean, you should just go to live, see live stuff in general. Cause like pe- people like to talk, I- I've heard so many times people be like, I love stand or I love comedy. And it's like, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I like to watch specials on Netflix. And it's like, that's not, that's great, but it- I guarantee it's so different and so much better live. Um, and especially, you know, in relatively smaller shows, like seeing a, seeing a show at the Paramount of like seeing Jim Gaffigan at the Paramount, which I have done is not even remotely the same or as good as as um you know even even a smaller special taping like that um it is the way that that uh medium was supposed to be experienced by far so do that i I won't argue with that as somebody who just recommended a netflix special no i'm not saying they're bad no i'm 100 percent on board with you that the live show is great specials hours much better than the special and the great being able to see something in a club yeah better than a large venue in my yeah. opinion anyway and even Not you know even, yeah anyways but that's let's all. let's uh finish it there uh we are running out of time so join us next week we're going to have cody pickett come on and talk about michael Penix destroying his records but never leaving our hearts we're getting ever closer so thanks again for listening and go dogs go dogs go dogs Woof.